Now for a show by a brother and sister who are polar opposites, but who both found a calling running solo businesses. This is the Unfederated Podcast. Hey, Sarah. Hey, brother. (laughs) (laughs) I am on top of things right now. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, How are you doing? Man, my life is in shambles. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that because um, I'm likewise. Uh, yeah, you had a little staycation this weekend, right? I did, yep. Uh, we're trying to sell our house. And so we put it on the market for Friday of this past weekend. And uh, we had a lot of showings. I would like to endorse this Blitzkrieg approach to house selling that you took on where you like your your lovely and amazing wife organized a million showings for one weekend and you stayed at a hotel so you didn't have to do that annoying thing where you have to like clean your house on a moment's notice 20 times a week. Yep. It was fantastic. Uh, especially with the three-year-old who is not good at keeping things tidy. Um, where there's just like no hope and us like just bouncing in and out of the house and keeping everything looking nice. So we, uh, we did like a coming soon thing, which is like a yeah realtor talk for, uh, putting it on the MLS, but you can't actually like show it yet. You know, it's just like, uh, it's coming soon. So we did that for a period of time leading up to this weekend, hopefully building up some like demand, you know? And so, yeah, we had, I think like, um, I want to say 14 showings over the weekend. That's Um, wild. And I also, I don't want to jinx anything about all this stuff that's going on with your house, but I want to say it's also very brilliant because if you stack them all up on each other, you could use them for negotiating power again. So, yeah, if you get it, you're more likely to get multiple simultaneous offers. Yeah. There's, there's a bit of like competition that feels, I mean, you know, um, there's a a sense of urgency for folks looking at the house, which is great. And so then we went and stayed at a, a little uh, local like boutique hotel kind of deal that, um, you know, here's the thing about me. You you probably know this. The things that are the things that are nice about hotels, I place zero value in like, just <laughs> acro- across the board. Like, like, um, so like she wanted to go to this like swanky new hotel in town that she's wanted to go to for a long time and hinted just politely and lovingly for like years. And ultimately had to just force you into it. And ultimately it took the situation. And even like the night before it was still more expensive than some other reasonable options. I was like, uh, and then the morning of like the, their price dropped and it was actually less expensive. So she's like, Oh We're my gosh. It, it took like, all of that. Fine. <laughs> okay. Bless her heart. So, so glad you locked her down so early. <laughs> I, know. I know. Yep. So anyways, um, yeah, our house looks like it should be in a magazine, but nothing is where it belongs. And no, like I'm like, my desk is, is not, well, my desk was ugly. So we put my desk in storage and I'm having to use Rachel's desk, which was some sort of dining room table that she uh, painted with some sort of terrible tacky paint. That's like just a terrible desk to work off of. <laughs> it drives me crazy. <laughs> and it's an awkward height because it's not a desk height. It's a dining room table height. Sure. And so I feel like I'm working like with typing with my hands up, like above my shoulders, <laughs> the kids table, you know? And so it's just uncomfortable all the way around. And I'm just like, it's one of those weird seasons that, I mean, Rachel doesn't have a desk. Like I commandeered her. She's working like laying on the guest bed. 
look, and she's not complaining, which tells you all you need to know about the differences between she and I. But um, yeah, so I've, I'm in here with with my desk and uh, just feeling like nothing is where it belongs. And I don't, I, you know, every time I need something, I'm like, hey, what what like nook or cranny is this shoved into? <laughs> Yeah, I relate to that. That's a terrible feeling, especially for you. You like to have things in their place. Yeah. If I'm anything, it's a creature of habit. And um, so, yeah, uh, you start valeting my car and uh, trying to do, trying to do, like, so here's the thing about hotels, right? Like the last two hotels, last two or three, two of the last three have like just like you can hear everything that's going on in the whole hotel. <laughs> and if yeah, I know like I get the dynamics of, of like building a, a big building, like building And then a, multiple people are in at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I I spent the my first career was in construction, right? Like I understand. But like every time the people like and this is a nice hotel, arguably the nicest in town. Like this isn't New York, but like it, we have decent hotels. And there's like you every time someone flushes the, the toilet, you're, you're, he's talking about the Ramada. Yeah. A, I have a super eight, you know, credit card, and I get points. Um, like every time anyone on the floors above us flushed the toilet, like I'm pretty sure it went through a pipe in the wall of our room. You know, so it's like yeah. we were sleeping in a like a water park. <laughs> like something's like, what is that noise? And I'm like. Shoddy construction. That's what that noise is. <laughs> Lack of insulation. Yes. And poor planning. <laughs> so, yeah, it no. wasn't even like loud outside the door, you know, ruckus, you know, and it was just like weird stuff like that where it's like you just hear, you know, things you shouldn't have to hear. So. I love that. Currently, my whole plan, uh, Walker and I have been redoing our bedroom area all summer. Um, because we wanted one guy to do it because he is so affordable and we just like him. And so it takes forever if one guy is doing everything. Um, but our whole goal, our stated goal has been to make it like a hotel bedroom because we both sleep so well in hotels. <laughs> so we're, we're like pooling pieces of all of these hotels we've stayed at. Like we really liked how the one in Brooklyn was this way and the one in New Orleans we always go to is this way. And, you know, the hardwood floors of the one in Buena Vista were really cool. So let's pull that in. I mean, it's all based on different hotel rooms. So it's so different than you. That is so funny. <laughs> Completely so, different. I use an app to track the quality of my sleep. <laughs> unsurprising and so i uh the two nights that we stayed in the hotel were like like the worst two nights of sleep and i don't know if it's because it was picking up all the background noise of the of the gushing water pipes or or all the other random like you know street noise and stuff that we shouldn't be able to hear but um like the nights when back when i was uh, uh several years ago i had a bunch of stomach problems back in those nights i would have like nights where i only slept for like three hours or something because of my stomach and like i would wake up the next morning like you know having gone to bed at like three and waking up at seven or something and and my quality of sleep app would be like 55 mm, percent and i'm like yeah, that feels about right. I was in the 40s for for both nights. You're kidding. We were at the hotel. It was it was like like 
Not good. Not good I so. bought the sheets of the last hotel I stayed at. I was like, you've got it. I looked at the inside of the pillowcase. I found the tag. I bought them and I got them delivered because I was like, man, I slept so well there. Also, anecdotally, now that I care about stories involving children sleeping because I'm going to have a baby soon, um, I am told that I slept through the night at two weeks old um, for nine straight hours in a hotel room for the first time. Interesting. In Atlanta. Okay. So I that's isn't that yeah. dangerous when you're like two weeks old? Yeah, you're supposed to wake them up <laughs> and feed them and, feed and stuff. Them? It's like yeah. I was just starving in the last like six hours of it, but whatever. Yeah, like the baby book I've confirmed because. You know, you've got to confirm these things. It's like, You're so docile when you were underfed. <laughs> Still am. Just get real sleepy. Power down. <laughs> well, but, I'll tell you a little bit about staying in a hotel room with a three-year-old. <laughs> Similar? Peaceful? Um, at one point in time, I mean, you know, square footage of a hotel room, there are not, there's not extra space, right? Like, it, But there's two rooms. There's the bathroom and there's the everything else room. And... So at some point in time, Sutton found the obligatory pen and paper, you know, pen and pad of paper, and was drawing all over the pad of paper uh, and managed to find 10 seconds of unsupervised time and drew all over the cabinets with the pen. And so we're over there, like, it, we, Rachel told me it was like they had, it was like a little slab of like quartz that they'd put in the cabinets because it was like where you set your bags, you know? And so I'm like Googling how to get pin off courts and we come up with like, you know, a hairspray option and like all this other stuff. We're in town. We had to come by the house to like check on things between showings. So like we get all these like cleaning supplies and sm smuggle them back into our hotel room because we're like, oh, you know, this piece of quartz is going to cost a lot. And I finally was like, I wonder if we could just like turn it over. <laughs> so I start messing with it. It's definitely not quartz. It's just a piece of laminate. Like there's no insulation around the pipes there's of course of course there's not like a slab of quartz in the room and so i was like okay so i start googling like laminate and again same hairspray thing and we end up finding like uh like we tried like six or seven different things turns out um nail polish remover is is oh. the, the magic thing there we even brought like a magic eraser from home yeah those yeah. usually do it yeah yeah so we dodged that bullet which we felt really good about and then at some point in time Sutton got the two the the two glasses that are next to the ice bucket and um and hit them together <laughs> <laughs> And somehow only broke the one glass, not oh, both. Which well, is, there was a uh, clear winner. <laughs> yeah. So there's shattered glass all over the floor and, and this, you know, uh, unrepairable glass. Yeah. And so um, we had one other thing, too, that we were That's like. That's not restful sounding. Yeah. No, we were just like the whole time we're like, we're never, like we're going to get banned from this place. We're not going to able to come back. Yeah. So. Well, I liked that when you texted me about it, you were like, now the valet is going to keep our car, which <laughs> yes. I was like, that's not how, like, they don't care. Like, but wouldn't that be funny if that was the, the whole like shtick was like, well, we're going to hold on to your car so you don't ruin anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it never way... once occurred to me that, that those two things might be connected. Another way we don't fit in is that uh, we don't have credit cards. So like every time we check into a hotel, they have to give us the spiel about using a debit card and the hold of the whole stay. And, uh, you know, we're like, yeah, 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 we get it. 
and then the other thing is like uh we we typically don't drive like overwhelmingly nice vehicles and so um the line of cars waiting to be valid we're we were not like the others and uh and so as when we were walking in rachel's like you think that's the nicest car that valet is going to park today <laughs> talking about our car um which has an inordinate amount of bird poop on one side of it i'm not sure and i was like oh definitely i was like well at least we'll have the most bird poop so we've got that um so anyways yeah yeah just we just feel like the beverly hillbillies or something i think yeah i valet because my office is in the hotel as you know um, and so I valet and the valets are these really nice guys who, um, have worked there for decades and they're, you know, um, they all wear top hats and they have different like outfits depending on the weather. Um, but, uh, so I get to make small talk about the progress of my pregnancy every time I see them, which is great <laughs> because it's not moving along that fast. If you see me like every day, so and neither are you. yeah, <laughs> they're like, Oh, well, you're in a valet today. Good thing. You might need to leave any time. And I'm like, no, not quite. <laughs> yeah. It's the worst, but they're real, they're real nice people. <laughs> that's good yeah these guys were probably fine too um i was just really turned off by their shorts and suspenders outfit so i didn't give them an, uh, a fair shot that's a hard outfit to rock yeah yeah but the driver cap you know they look mm. like they came out of the newsies or something i don't know yeah that's very newsy i don't know um okay i thought today <laughs> that we would talk about something that i have seen a couple times well probably six times um, from different clients who are freelancing where they're offered uh, an opportunity to like affiliate with a company in exchange for equity of some kind and they're not getting paid money. Um, And so I imagine that based on how often I've run into this, that it happens quite often that I don't see because a lot of people who should get lawyers don't. <laughs> and, um, and the ones I've seen have a hundred percent been just terrible. So, um, you know, they're like, Hey, I've got this sweet deal. But then when they send the documents over, um, they're not doing anything. Um, so if, you know, they, they might think that they have equity, but the documents don't actually function legally. Oh, interesting. So do you think that the, the people on the, on the company side of these arrangements are being nefarious or just incompetent? I would say negligent, um, incompetent to negligent for sure. Um, and so the problem is by the time somebody actually gets a lawyer to look at them, usually they've done this a couple times with other people. So then they're very entrenched in their terrible, terrible document. Um, I mean, we're talking, there's just no way that anybody, I mean, maybe there's something going on around there where people are pulling these and sharing them with each other because they're just so terrible. Um, like legal things that really do matter, for instance, whether you call a company, a corporation or an LLC, um, that determines whether you're going to talk about shares or ownership interest. Oh, interesting. Um, so they could like cross the two and yeah. talk about their shares of their uh, LLC. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So they're talking about giving shares of an LLC. And then when you ask to see the LLC agreement, there aren't shares. 
So there's, it's just, you know, kind of this big uh, circular loop where nothing actually functions um, legally, which is a shame because you could, you know, make an agreement like that that would function. You could just make it in verbal form, like whatever they think they're agreeing to. They could write that down and say, we'll pay for lawyers to paper it later, but this is our agreement, you know. Um, and instead, they go and make their own terrible documents that purport to do the thing and don't. And so it, it, point being, in every case um, that I have seen um, of these six that I'm talking about where I was a lawyer, and the the person was agreeing to work for free indefinitely. Mm. Um, and in exchange for nothing. In exchange for nothing. Yeah. And so that's like, I mean, you know, that's a pretty big deal. And it's crazy that that's something that's out there in the freelancer community. And I'm really interested in where it's coming from. Like, why are people, why do people think that companies have any value? is really a question that I have. Um, because even if you it works, right? So let's say, Rob, <laughs> that you, as your company, um, decide to bring somebody on and you say, in exchange for you know uh, being my independent contractor um, for 10 hours a week for the year, I'll you know give you 5% of my company. What does that mean? Like it, it doesn't mean anything, right? right. <laughs> so like, like 5% of your I, company isn't worth anything that I, I mean, that I know of. <laughs> I, I thought that was a trick question. I was trying to think of what it could mean. Yeah. And people feel like, oh, if I have 5%, it's, it's illiquid. So it's just, it's like saying, okay, you have 5% of my house, but P.S. I'm never selling my house. Um, so maybe you'll have 5% of my tax obligations at some point, but you're, you're like not ever going to get, I mean, companies don't have any obligation to pay distributions to owners or pay out money or at the end of the year say, okay, 5% of our profits go to this person. I mean, you can just keep reinvesting your money in yourself or inflate your own salary. Like there's yeah. just... Go ahead. Yeah, I, I was going to just say that. Like, uh, I think some people would probably be listening to this right now and think, oh, well, you know, if the company ever makes money, I'm entitled to 5% of it. But I think what, what you just said is that, like, no, <laughs> like, who, whoever is involved in the company, um, probably on a daily basis, can, can steer the money however they want to so that there's no it's going to the places that they want it to go and there's not any quote unquote extra cash in the year to, to allocate to Joe freelancer. Right. Exactly. Absent a, an actual effective document to the contrary, they have no obligation to say, okay, when they, and they're very much incentivized of course to say, okay, well all of the money we made uh, goes towards our salaries. <laughs> and so that's uh, we made zero profit because our salaries were, you know, $600,000 this year. <laughs> um, and I mean, there's some legal nuances here, but point being, I'm shocked how many people are uh, agreeing to this stuff. They're agreeing to provide services in exchange for um, equity in a company where A, it's not effectively transferred to them. And it, and it'd be complicated, right? Because, um, 
getting membership in a company is like a marriage. Like it's very, it's illegally, you can't just kind of like transiently own membership interest in a privately held company and then sell it for what you paid for it or anything. It's, it's not like a stock market situation. It's, you don't have the ability usually to freely transfer it. So you're kind of... Go what ahead. about on the dark web? That seems like something that would happen on the dark web. <laughs> what if that happened and you were like, now, um, you know, Ninja Warrior 69 <laughs> from the dark web <laughs> owns 5% of my agency. So we're, we're making a check out to him uh-huh. <laughs> and Bitcoin and it's, it's a real hassle for bookkeeping purposes. <laughs> yeah. We- he won't give us a copy of his ID, so we don't. <laughs> Pretty sure well, he's thirteen. <laughs> so let me, we'll, we'll kind of um, let me ask a macro question here, like um, understanding more of the pitfalls of how this normally plays out. Is there an opportunity to do it well? And like, it, would you advise that? I mean, you know, if if there were even an opportunity to do it successfully, maybe that's a better way of saying that successfully instead of well. Is that uh, an advisable thing? And like, what are what are some um, some guideposts in, in that line of thinking? Yeah. So, I um, you definitely can do it, but I guess I would just I I want like a PSA out there for freelancers to not agree to work for equity. Like, it, I just I feel that I have encountered many people not understanding that. Um, the equity isn't worth anything. <laughs> and, um, and then also that it's really hard to effectively transfer it. And it's a complex deal. So, um, for instance, there's a million different ways it can go wrong. Like, um, if you or Rob were agreeing to work for somebody for in exchange for 10% of their company, cool. You agree. They give you 10%. A lawyer actually writes the documents or they get good ones somehow and they, um, effectively transfer it to you. And you're like, sweet peace. I'm not doing any work, <laughs> you know, then what happens? <laughs> like, um, do you have to give it back? Uh, th- there's really complex ways of, of making sure, you know, that you hammer out the details. And so that's what people come to me and they say, well, I'm exchanging, you know, I'm doing this, I'm working for them and they're giving me part of the company. Okay. How much? Usually people don't even know the answer to that. Um, so figuring out how much of the company you're going to get, are you going to get it all at once? Are you committing to work five hours a week, 20 hours a week? And a lot of times people say just as needed, you know, just accomplishing whatever. But you really have to spell it out (laughs) because you don't want to be in a situation where you're working for free um, to get equity that maybe one day will be worth something, but might not. (laughs) And you're you're not able to tend to clients who would be paying your bills. Um, That would be terrible. And then if you stopped because you it was just too burdensome, then you lost the equity you'd been starting, you know, and it, it's really problematic. So you have to kind of say, OK, for five years, I'll do it for no more than five hours a week. And in exchange, I get this amount of money and that entitles me to five percent of the profits. And I get to look at all the books and I get to weigh in on where all the money is going, <laughs> a lot of different stuff. And frankly, people who are. Uh, companies offering equity to freelancers instead of paying them don't have the money to put together the documents to make that work. 
Yeah, because that's what I was going to suggest. So like, I see this happening the most with startups, right? And, and it's like somebody with an idea or a product, and they're in the process of of taking some, you know, venture capital investors, whatever, you know, money from capital from somebody, and uh, everything's, you know, uh, bootstrapped, you know, for lack of a better term. I mean, that actually has a meaning as far as not taking uh, investment from people, but like they're doing everything as lean, lean and, and, um, small scale as they possibly can, right. To, to get this, um, new venture off the ground. And so this becomes a, Hey, we're giving out just shares, shares on shares on shares of our company to people. So like, what's a few more to you in exchange for, you know, your marketing services, your legal services, whatever. Um, and, and the, the plan, one one thought I had earlier when you were talking is that, you know, part of this, you mentioned like a company never selling, but like a startup would have aspirations of, you know, going public or, or being acquired or something. So there's like an exit plan, at least in place versus like a lot of companies that would have like no, no, uh, motivation whatsoever to ever exit, you know? Yeah. Oh, this is so helpful because this exactly that's exactly the case. Um, I think people think of the startup thing, and and it does have a place and value for a proper startup that's going on the VC route or, or pursuing larger rounds of financing and ultimately probably going to sell. That's totally where that makes sense. But every time I see it, it's with like an agency or a privately held company that one guy owns. Um, and, and like that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't, it's not freely transferable. It's never, I mean, it's unlikely that, uh, service providers usually can't, uh, get very much from their company, even if they do sell them. Oh, sure. Cause yeah, the value of them is, is only like the money they bring in. Yeah. It, I mean, you can try to like find a way to monetize your book of business when you're going out of business, but it's such a personal interaction is pretty tricky. Um, so only in the occasion where you're, you know, fast tracking your way and it's bridging a gap between, um, <laughs> you know, bootstrapping and when they get their proper like VCs to come in with a financing round, if that happens, you want to do like a convertible note, um, which is just generally something that says, Hey, I'll do work for you in this amount. And in exchange, you'll give me this amount of money, um, in shares and I'll just get whatever terms the next financing round agrees on. Um, so you don't have to agree on all the little terms. It's a pretty straightforward document because you can assume that the VCs are going to, you know, strike a good bargain and you're going to get it on that. Yeah, and do all the due diligence in right. a way that satisfies all the lawyers and fancy people. Yes, exactly. So you can just rest assured that you know both parties are going to be equally equipped to fight that that battle at that time, and you're going to get a good deal. Um, and then it, it makes some degree of sense. It's still a huge risk. <laughs> so, and I definitely still recommend if you're if you're working for equity that you um, put like a dollar amount, like a lower dollar amount on your hour, or you cap your hours really low. Um, because uh, if you completely divorce your services from uh, the amount of money that they actually cost in real life, you're going to be completely swamped with work for the, for the company. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Yeah. Just some open-ended, like do all of our, this. Yes. Like you're going to be doing stuff like, you you know, your job is one that can expand pretty, pretty robustly in all directions. (laughs) If somebody's starting to be like, and I guess write our copy and put our website up and my email password needs to be reset. And you're like, what? (laughs) We had one of the agencies I worked for is more entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial and in spirit. And so we actually like that, that entity, the agency actually considered doing some uh, work for a startup that we've collectively felt like had uh, lots of potential. And we were actually going to do something similar. I mean, you know, kind of a, a, a work for ownership kind of model with them. And it was funny because like, you know, looking they're they're advertising at a certain level and we're like, okay, cool. Yeah, we can, we can swing that like, great. And then, then like with that next round of fundraising came some people who said, what you really need to do is advertise at a level that's like 30 X what you're currently doing. <laughs> and so like, sweet, well, you guys are managing our stuff. So here, you know, all of a sudden, like the, the quantity, I mean, you know, not even like scope creep, like you just described, which is a totally valid and common thing, but like even just it within the, the guardrails of what we had discussed all of a sudden, like the, the nature of, of the work changed dramatically and what felt like overnight, you know? Um, she's like, Hey, you know, we found this guy, he's going to give us a ton of money, but like, but we're going to spend it all on advertising. So, uh, you know, staff up over there. Oh gosh. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's a very real risk. It seems to me that, you know, on the, the big players, they're doing this in a way that makes sense because they're able to afford the, the lawyers and put things in the right boxes like lawyers do. Um, if you have a company or startup that's like really got traction, they're going to have other agreements with other people where they're basically being loaned money for through a convertible note, which is how it usually works. Um, so somebody's like giving them money and an agreement, they'll get those shares on the terms the next financing round comes up with. Um, it's also sometimes called a bridge loan. Um, so that's all things that that they'll already have in place. So bringing you on to provide services and, and then just putting the dollar amount on those services and saying, okay, well, we think that's worth this. So in the next financing round, you get this, um, that'll be fine. They'll figure it out because all of those people have enough money and lawyers on all sides. But when it's, you know, a two person company, um, or an agency dealing with an individual freelancer, which I keep seeing stuff like that. Um, it's, you know, it's a mess. It's just an absolute mess where nobody knows what's being accomplished. And I know that you have received equity from, um, a former employer, which is kind of a similar situation, like a stock option. Um, and those can be done well because, you know, the employer has set up a thing and has W2 employees and they're usually issued as like incentives over a period of time. And there's a proper stock option plan and stuff, but this like ad hoc, you know, one person agreeing with another without a lawyer present, like it just never effectively conveys the equity. And I don't think that the individuals ever stop to think like, why do I even want this? Yeah. What well, I, I think that's a good point. Let's talk about it from the individual side more so than like the transactional side. Um, but before we do, I want to tell you about something I like. 
Um, so for <laughs> tell the me about August, something you like. I'll do it. I'll do it right now. Um, for the month of August, we partnered with Smile Software, um, the makers of Text Expander, which we've talked about the last two shows, and also the makers of PDF Pen, uh, which is their PDF editing software uh, for the Mac and iOS. And I actually like absolutely got to use this this last week in a very organic way. And it like totally came in super handy. Uh, we're doing the stuff at the house, which we talked about earlier in the show. And I had to send some PDFs um, to insurance people to like uh, work through like getting, we're trying to get pricing together for our uh, insurance for our new house. And they're like, oh uh, yeah, we need you to send these things to us. And I'm like, cool. Like how can I send them to you, you know, um, digitally, securely? And they're like, well, we actually can't take them digitally um, because uh, it's, you know, uh, we can only, you can fax them to us. <laughs> Or we can mail you an envelope and you can print out like, like they needed copies of tax returns, you know? And, and so it's like, oh, cool. Those are each about 70 pages. <laughs> and like, you know, my wife and I both have small businesses. Like our return is not easy. And so like, like I don't, I, I, she has a printer that I begrudgingly we keep in the office. Like I wish it didn't exist. We don't print stuff. Like I'm not going to sit and print 150 pages of stuff to mail to them. And so, and I have it all digitally and secured um, for my own personal records. And I was like, this is so dumb. Like, I can't share a Dropbox file with you. I can't, like, you know, I've got like my own, I think I talked about Dropler last last week or the week before last. Um, like I could send it that way. It's just a link. You just download it. Like it's from a website. You know, oh, no, 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 we can't do that. We can't do that. So finally, like, I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Like, <laughs> like I'm not printing all this stuff and mailing it like that's not secure neither is a fax line like yeah the fact that people think faxes are secure is hilarious to me yeah yeah uh-huh <laughs> yeah it's just like it shows up in some random fax machine somewhere and yeah. sits there for just like dusty yeah. just dropping in the floor you know yeah. sheet after sheet yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I was like, okay, cool. Like, this is how I can send them to you. And like, let me, uh, PDF pen had a, had a, has a feature where I can encrypt them. Like I can password protect, uh, the PDFs. So I did that in a way that's like uh, a level of encryption that I'm comfortable with. And so I was like, all right, here you go. Like, here's the files. You can call me and I'll give you the password. <laughs> but like, you know, otherwise like you're just going to lose my business if we can't figure out a way to do this. And it worked out really well. And the thing I like most about it is that I have a need like that. Uh, I don't know, maybe a dozen times a year. Like it's like, I'm not like you're working in PDFs all the time. I would imagine I, I don't, I occasionally have like, uh, like an old agency who I'm replacing that wants to send me all the notes in a PDF form just to make it like hard for me to copy and paste stuff or something, you know, which again, PDF pen can convert to word documents and then like, you know, screw you other agency, like, you know, um, but so it's not worth it to me to pay some sort of monthly subscription to something like this. But like the thing I really like is that it's kind of a one-time purchase and the, you, you get the benefit of the software for, um, you know, so long. And then if new updates come out, you can pay like a discounted price to update them. Um, but like, I would much rather work on that model cause it's not something I need every single month and, and isn't worth that kind of investment to me, but it is worth the kind of investment they charge. But anyways, that's my story for PFN. You can tell yours next week. Um, but, um, but yeah, so, uh, as a part of their partnership this, uh, this month, um, we're giving away six, 
six um, licenses for, for PDF pen uh, version 11, their current version. Uh, so there'll be a link in the show notes where you can jump in, you can register, um, let us know at the end of the month, we're going to give away six uh, licenses for text expander, which we've talked about in the last two shows and then six for PDF pen. So a really cool opportunity to get a really powerful uh, piece of software. That's a really good deal. Everybody should, <laughs> should definitely um, submit for that contest because your odds yeah. are fine and it's a really good deal. That's just money in your pocket. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I love this because like my use of this is like the, on the opposite end of the scale is like your use. So, um, so good, good, good perf- perspectives we'll have this week and next. Um, okay. So at the individual level, the thing that was sticking on me when we were talking about, um, doing work for money or for ownership is, is money, you know, like, um, like the importance of whether to entertain this opportunity, right? Like it's been given to you, um, like freelancer, like, Hey, you can do this. Like my fancy paint startup, like here's your chance. Like we're going to do the legal work well. And we're, you know, and we have an exit plan, right? Do you want to do it? Well, like we've already talked about, you know, the need to have the exit plan. So we check that box. The other is like, what stage perhaps, I mean, you know, um, what stage you're at in your freelance world where you can, I mean, it's a gamble, right? Like you're going to do all this work now in the hopes that, or, or now in, in, in moving forward in the foreseeable future, uh, in the hopes that someday there's this big payoff and that sounds great. And, but like, does it, how, how's the mortgage getting paid today? You know, um, and maybe you have that margin. Maybe you don't, if you don't like, I think that the answer is probably clear. Um, if you do, then it still feels a little bit like, um, you know, is this, is this taking the place of paying work? And, and this is a question that I've struggled with before. Like, do I invest in like the opportunity for future revenue that may or may not come when I have people that are wanting to pay me to do work today? You know, like, um, if assuming I'm at or near capacity, that's like a, even if it's, if it's like doing this or if it's like, um, I'm going to build this product, you know, I've got this product idea and I'm going to spend like months building it out and then I'm going to try to sell it, you, you know, like that's all fun and great. It may or may not sell. I've got people today that are like, you know, Hey, we'd really love your help on this thing. So just finding the balance of where I spend my time, not not being too short-sighted, but also like not looking, you know, with a bird in the hand, two in the bush kind of situation, like not, not being dumb to the fact that like, you know, money today is good. And then that's money in my pocket that I have control over. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would even venture, I guess the whole thing that I want to communicate is if there's so many emotions tied up for people in offering pieces of their company that if you as an individual are in a situation where somebody's like, could you do work for free? I'll give you a part of my beautiful, cherished company. Um, immediately be like, I don't really do that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> unless you, you, you really want to think about it because turning that down is gonna, um, it doesn't go across very well, you know? Um, if you let it get too far <laughs> into negotiations, um, and it's reasonable to say, you know, listen, I'm just not in a position where I can defer payment like that. Um, but if you wind up, you know, going through negotiations, be immediately suspect, be, 
you know, there's very few occasions when that's the right move. And really, I think there's maybe two circumstances you you can be in as a freelancer where it makes sense. One where you're so flush with cash, you can take the risk. You you feel like it's a good one and you're able to not just work for free but to pay a lawyer a couple thousand dollars to review all the documents to make sure that you're actually going to eventually potentially get paid. Um, So that's, you know, like you have to be in a pretty good spot and then, you know, you're in a pretty good spot. So if you want to take that risk, take that risk. And then I think it's a similarly a different analysis if you don't have enough work and you're thinking, well, I could be doing nothing or I could be doing this thing that might eventually pay me. Yeah, I think you just said two things that are really important. One, once you start going down that road to negotiating or opening the door to this, at some point then if you decide no, it's almost as though you're you're like telling someone their baby's ugly. You, you know, like you've you've seen you've seen inside and and you don't like it. Some people could take offense to that or take that personally, which I think that's super wise because I I've seen that happen before. Um, where if like immediately you're like, eh, that's not really my thing then like, you know, I think most reasonable people have to understand that versus like, oh, well, I looked at everything and, and after careful study, it sucks. Yeah. Like, I <laughs> like, don't think this makes, I don't want your company, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. It's not good enough for me. Yeah. It definitely can burn some bridges there that you don't want to be burned. Um, whereas if you say no immediately, they actually start paying you for your work. I mean, you could always bring it back up later. Yeah. Yourself. Yeah. Right. Right. Or, or use that money and stockpile it and then make an investment. Yeah. That actually has like some sort of monetary value. Yeah, know? exactly. And I think the other point you mentioned there too is like, just because said company has put the time and energy into putting all these documents together to make sure that it's being done on the up and up you as, as the recipient of all this also have some, some duty to confirm that all of it has been done correctly. Yeah. So um, that's a hard place to find yourself in where you can not only agree to work for free. I mean, unless you're a lawyer and you know this stuff and you can review the documents for yourself, but you have to be able to not just work for free, but pay a couple grand to a lawyer to review it and then still be willing to walk away. Yeah. Right. And and not like not let that sunk cost yeah. tilt the scales in some meaningful way. Yeah, I would say that's when you know you're in a position where it might be the right choice for you is where you have all of those things. <laughs> it's not, you know, you're not betting your your mortgage. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned my uh, a situation I have with some ownership in a former company. Um, it, you know, even it was done on the up and up with attorneys. And now, like, the the company didn't manage it well, like the flow of it well. And so like here, you know, three some odd years later, um, or more, uh, I still own part of the company and like, I'm a competitor of theirs now. And, and there's this weird situation where it's like, they, um, lost, missed out on the window of, of forcing me to sell that back to them. So now I'm kind of like, uh, got the best of both worlds, (laughs) you know? Um, but still runs into some of these issues of like, I'm not there. I don't know what they're doing. You know, like, um, like, you know, if, you know, everything could be going right down the crapper, (laughs) I'm like, 
um, or they could be making tons of money and, and paying it out as salaries and not paying it to me. Um, I, I wouldn't, you know, I'm sure they wouldn't be super excited about, um, paying me to compete against them. So, right. <laughs> uh, it's not necessarily an ideal situation either, either way. And they're not, I mean, you're not, but they're not supposed to companies are not supposed to screw over their minority shareholders and not pay them, but, and recharacterize stuff as salaries and stuff, but it's so easy and <laughs> it's done so ubiquitously, like all over the place that you just have to assume that that's going to, uh, potentially happen unless you really, really, really work to figure out a way to keep it from happening. So in your case, are you just drowning in, uh, are they sending you a check every quarter? To, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, no. Account for your ownership uh, interest or drowning. Uh, unsurprisingly, I've not seen anything. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's the thing is, you know, we're freelancers. We have finite amounts of time. And if you're going to invest that in something that's not going to immediately return and invest you know, your investment with money that you can turn around and then pay for things, you want to think about it really carefully and understand it. And too many people that I see enter into these agreements without understanding them. Yeah. I always feel like, and, and this is my like old man um, ethos coming out, but I always feel like having money in my pocket today is, is worth a lot of a lot more than it's given credit for, you know, like we often glamorize like, um, these long shot payoffs, you know, and like whatever form they take, like investing in a startup, you know, penny stocks, I don't know what else. And, and there's something to be said for having a dollar in your pocket today that you can go, you know, stick in a mutual fund or you can go do whatever with you are in control of, um, and, and just move on with your life versus like continuing to bet on and, and lose on these long shot deals. Cause I mean, not that they're all bad, but statistically speaking, you know, there's, there's people who do this for a living, um, that are not successful at it. And, and chances are you don't have that much time to dedicate to it or, or expertise or resources or what have you. Um, you're not an attorney or an, and, or, and a, an accountant, um, or an inventor or a whatever, uh, a tech person that understands, you know, the, the software behind it or whatever the thing is. Um, so I don't know. I, I've only, I mean, me personally, I've only seen like a handful of opportunities like this in the past where someone has, has offered this. Um, and it's never been something that I've, I've been interested in, you know? Yeah. I mean, I have to admit there's very few times that it makes sense. And I've certainly been confronted um, uh, and this has all been from the freelancer's perspective as a worker providing services. It's an equally bad idea for many other reasons from the company's perspective, usually. Unless, like I said, that's a proper you know, startup on their way to a traditional large financing round, um, which I actually am providing services for one of those <laughs> in exchange for equity. Um, so despite everything I've said, there are some, and maybe I'll regret it. I don't know, you know, um, but there's, it's, a, you know, I've limited the amount of risk, amount of hours that I'm agreeing to risk. And then we revisit the agreement and um, for a bunch of soft factors like connections and experience, it's a good move, even if I don't ever see a dime from it. Yeah. I think you just highlighted what's uniquely special about that is the kind of the soft factors of, 
the personal relationships involved and that sort of thing. Yeah. Like I just want to be in that space and, and learn all this stuff from those people regardless. <laughs> so it expands my ability to provide services to, to clients in different spaces. It's, it's basically like, um, education I'm not paying for yeah, <laughs> and, uh, maybe we'll get paid for. <laughs> so yeah. And if you don't like, yeah, fine. yeah. So yeah. that's, it, and it's kind of like, like the adage is about loaning, uh, people money, right? Like friends and family, loaning friends and family money. Like you have to be in a place where you can just give it away and it won't, you know, you just, you can assume you're giving them the money and then if you get it back, good. But if not, you're, it's not going to hurt you. Um, that's kind of where you need to be for uh, making a deal like this, even if it's well done and well documented. Yeah. I think that's all a good place to leave it. Agreed. All right. Thanks, bro. Yep. Have good a, talking to you. Have a, have a good rest of the day. Talk to you later. All right. See you. you can find show notes from this episode at unfederated.studio. And if this podcast has helped you in your journey, say thanks by rating and reviewing the show in Apple Podcasts.